If you're in the room, I invite you to find your program, and there is um, there's a section on, well, it's kind of like page three, the, the inside of the back cover where there's a, an outline and some Bible verses that will guide us this morning. So I hope you'll find that and uh, follow along, knowing that there'll be several watching who don't have that. I'll uh, repeat those texts so that uh, they're clear and um, we'll try to include, try to include everybody. Miss Shelley in the uh, children's message talked about uh, being uh, proud, appropriately proud, and then um, much to my chagrin told you that I actually bought that thing for that says Jesus is a volunteer. It was in a moment of weakness and I'm not, uh... but she's right. There's there are lots of good reasons to be good proud. I'm proud every time I go to the Space and Rocket Center. I, I swell up with pride. I'm, I'm proud of this area. I'm proud of the engineers and the scientists that literally propelled America into space. I'm proud of the role that North America played in, in, the, in space exploration. I'm, I'm proud of what this area does in protecting our nation. I'm I'm proud of the good growth of our region. There, there are just a lot of reasons that I'm, I'm proud. And pride is not necessarily a bad thing, but there is, a, there is, if you will, a bad pride. In fact, that bad pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Over 500, 1,500 years ago, 1,500 years ago, Christian thinkers began to reflect on the human condition and and they began to sense that there were these recurring sins, these sort of fundamental sins, these root sins, if you will. And it seemed like every other sin grew out of these recurring fundamental root sins. And so they, they acquired the, the name, the seven deadly sins. We're going to talk about those for seven weeks and we kick off today with pride. And, and I want to I encourage you right off the bat, talking about pride, let's be careful. Pride is not just for the athletes and the cheerleaders. Pride is not just for the rich and famous. Pride is not only a sin of the brilliant and the good-looking. Pride, the sin of pride, is a potential problem for us all. I want us to begin with Romans 12.3. It's in your, uh, on your outlines. It's at the top, and I've included that uh, from the, the translation, that dynamic translation we call it, the message. And it's Ro Romans 12.3 reads like this. Let's just go ahead and be who we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Let me read that again. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Know who you are and be who you are. Pride again, pride, appropriate pride is appropriate. It's appropriate to take pride in our work, in our self-care. If someone says she doesn't take much pride in her work, that's not a compliment. Pride 
The kind against the Bible warns is not that sense of satisfaction that we feel when we've worked hard or someone we love has worked hard and accomplished something special. That's not, that feeling is not that against which the Bible warns. Even Paul, Romans 11 said, I am proud of my ministry. Second Corinthians seven, he said, I'm proud of you. He wrote to his Corinthian Christian friends and said, I am proud of you. So appropriate pride is appropriate, but the Bible warns against a self-centered pride, this obsession with ourselves, the kind of pride that says, this is my world and you're just living in it. This pride against which the Bible warns is not just thinking too much of ourselves, but rather thinking of ourselves too much. And it's a big problem. There is, however, a remedy, an antidote to pride, and that is humility. So follow your outline there and look at James 4, 6. It says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God, God, the Bible often sets humility and pride next to each other. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If hum, humility is the antidote, what is humility? That's really important. We read Romans 12, 3 that says, know who you are and be who you are. That is humility. Romans 12, 3 in the New International Version reads, think of yourself with sober judgment. In the Good News translation, it says, be modest in your thinking. Humility is not self-hatred. Humility is not self-debasement. Humility, humility is an accurate assessment of ourselves. It is, an, it is a realistic understanding of our strengths and our weaknesses. It is to quote Romans 12, 3, know who you are and be who you are. Humility says neither pat yourself on the back nor beat yourself up. Neither puff yourself up nor put yourself down. Neither place yourself on a pedestal nor throw yourself under the bus. I told you a couple of years ago about a clubhouse. Kids, these kids formed a, uh, a club, had a clubhouse, and they had to have rules. Every clubhouse has to have rules. They decided on three after a great deal of deliberation. These were the three. Number one, nobody act big. Number two, nobody act small. Number three, everybody act medium. That was the rules of the clubhouse. And act medium is humility. Now be careful, it does not mean strive for mediocrity. To act medium doesn't mean we settle for average. It simply means know who you are and be who you are. Neither pat yourself on the back nor beat yourself up. Neither puff yourself up nor put yourself down. Neither place yourself on a pedestal nor throw yourself under the bus. I'm going to take a quick trip out on a limb, and I'm going to suggest that we might not be doing our kids a favor by telling them that they are perfect, and if they fail, it's somebody else's fault. I hear some of that, where we blame other people if our kids fail or not, don't win. Now, please hear me. I'm not talking to grandparents. Your job is to make them feel they're wonderful, they're special, they're the best in the world. But the rest of us, 
I don't think we're doing a favor to our, our young people by making them always feel like winners, always blaming somebody else if they lose. I'm not sure we're rearing them to be appropriately humble. Now, child abuse sickens me, and I, of course, believe in encouraging children. But remember, Romans 12, 3 says, know who you are and be who you are. That's the best gift, I think, to give to children. All right, I'm coming back off the limb, and we're going to move on. Numbers 13. Numbers 13, Moses has sent 12 spies out into the promised land, into Canaan, to scope things out. Numbers 13, 31 through 33 says that 10 of the 12 came back and said, we can't take that place. There are giants out there. And in addition to that, we are grasshoppers in our own eyes, excuse me, in their eyes and in our own. Get that. There are giants out there and we are grasshoppers in their eyes and in our own. You are not a grasshopper. And if you think you're, of yourself as a grasshopper, then you'll never conquer any promised lands. But here's another truth. You're not a giant either. And humility, biblical humility understands I'm neither, neither a giant that towers over people nor a grasshopper that lives in the shadow of people. Nobody act big, no, nobody act small, everybody act medium. Neither pat yourself on the back nor beat yourself up. Neither puff yourself up nor put yourself down. Neither put yourself on a pedestal nor throw yourself under a bus. Just know who you are and be who you are. That is biblical humility. But that's hard. The Bible does help us, though. Look back on your, your outlines there, and we're going to see some biblical help for overcoming pride and being humble. Number one, when you prepare to brag, don't. When you prepare to brag, don't. Proverbs 27, 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. I remember when I met Dave Fairchild. He actually came, I was a pastor, uh, he came forward in a church in another city to join the church. That was the first time I had met him. We were sitting on the front pew, and we are making small talk during the, the offering, and uh, I said, you know, what do you do for a living? He said, I work at the bank. Well, that's cool. Until a month later, I found out he was the president of the bank. Now, Dave, I was so impressed that Dave didn't feel the need for right off the bat to tell me he was president. Some people will tell us, you know, if they're in, a, in the, the big cheese, whether we asked him or not. I actually gave him an opportunity, but he was confident enough not to have to brag. Bill Holland, Dr. Bill Holland, a cardiologist. I went to visit him in another city in the hospital. He, I, I visited him in the hospital because this time he was a patient, not the doctor. His wife Linda was there. The nurse was in there who obviously had been taking care of him because of their banter and their familiarity. I could tell that she had been the nurse that had been taking care of him. And I said something that prompted her to turn to him and say, Mr. Holland, you're a doctor? I said, Bill, you didn't tell her you're a doctor? He had not. 
I would have put my lab coat over my gown, my hospital gown, if I was a doctor. Not only was he a doctor in that hospital, he and his, pay, his uh, uh, a partner, his medical partner, had founded the heart catheterization lab in that hospital. He was a big deal. But to this nurse, he was just Bill. Be like Bill. Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. It's a funny thing. The more we try to impress people, the less impressed they usually are. People are drawn to those with a, a quiet confidence. They don't, don't have to toot our horn. And you've heard the old saying, he that tooteth not his own horn, the same shall not be tooted, right? Then let it not be tooted. A good practice to behave our way into humility is to just not, when we're tempted to brag, zip it. Zip it is not a Greek nor a Hebrew word, but it fits, I think. Just, just don't. Number two, intentionally point to others. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Someone asked Leonard Bernstein, the famous conductor, what is the hardest instrument to play? And he said, second fiddle. He said, I can get a lot of people to play first violin. But to get somebody to play second fiddle, second violin with enthusiasm, he said, is really hard. Those of us who are accustomed to playing first violin would do well to step back and let others play first violin, to step back and play second fiddle every once in a while. Those of us who are accustomed to talking would do well to step back and listen every once in a while. Those of us who are accustomed to leading would do well to step back and let others lead for a while. Those of us who are accustomed to getting the credit would do well to deflect the credit and let other people get the credit every once in a while. Do nothing out of selfish ambition but point to others. Number one, when you're tempted to brag, don't. Number two, point to others. Number three, be courageously vulnerable. Ephesians 4.25. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In the message it reads, and it's in your outline, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other after all. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other after all. Pride causes some of us to seek the, the spotlight. But pride causes others of us to remain in the shadows. If you've been, if you've heard me many times, you know that one of my favorite books is All Over But the Shoutin' by Rick Bragg. Born the same county, same year I was. Never have been confused for Rick Bragg. He won a Pulitzer Prize and I didn't. But I love All Over But the Shoutin'. In that book, 
He talks about his mother's aversion to pride. She hated pride. Largely because her husband, Rick Bragg's dad, was so proud. She said, he'll sit there and sharpen his knife and shine his shoes for hours. Not caring whether the mother of his children even has enough money for groceries. She hated that pride. And she warned Rick, you've got that brag pride too. You're too concerned about appearances. Rick Bragg wrote, I would have paid more attention to her if I had, known for, if I had not known for some time that it was precisely that same pride that kept her a prisoner in that little house. Isn't that interesting? Pride drove the dad to shine his shoes and sharpen his pocket knife so that everything would look good. But pride kept his mother a prisoner behind the thin walls of a rickety house because she didn't have much, not much education, not many possessions. And she was afraid if she got out of the house and went into the big city of Jacksonville, Alabama, people would look down on her. So she stayed, she stayed in. You see, pride drives some of us to seek the spotlight and drives some of us to hide behind plastic smiles and happy Facebook posts. Same pride, just two very different manifestations of pride. Pride causes some of us to show off, causes some of us to hide. Pride causes some of us to never tell anybody when we're in trouble or hurting. Because of pride, there are people who would never say, my marriage is in trouble. Because of pride, people wouldn't say, I'm having trouble at work or I'm having trouble at school. And then there's mental illness. When someone or someone that that person loves is struggling with mental illness, pride makes many of us hide that truth. There's such a stigma. And it would be such good help if we would just let people know, but we hide behind plastic smiles and happy Facebook posts and addiction. When we or someone we love struggles with an addiction, especially when that addiction has led to decisions that have disappointed us, some of us are tempted to hide, to hope nobody knows, to stay holed up in, in the, behind the thin walls of a rickety house. Because pride and shame are real close together. And so some of us are not... Maybe being honest, but let me tell you when, you, when you swallow your pride and you begin to talk about your struggles, it's liberating, it's freeing. And, and you open yourself up to relationships, relation, deep relationships that never would have been possible otherwise. 
pride leads some of us to show off and some of us to hide. I understand that struggle. When my heart longs to share my fears and uncertainties, my pride screams, no! They will think less of you. When my pride, my heart, longs to share my failures, when my heart longs to share my failures, my pride screams, what are you thinking? They will not hold you in as high a regard. Not all is as well with many of us as we pretend it is. It's time we come clean despite our pride. Now, I'm not suggesting we air our dirty laundry publicly. We have to be prudent, cautious. But find people you trust. Find people who love you. And come out of the, the house where you've been hiding. It's liberating. It's freeing. A lot of good help out there where people aren't too proud to say, I need help. Finally, don't let pride keep you from forgiveness. Don't let pride keep you from life at its best. Two men went to the temple to pray. One full of pride. You know the story. Lord, I sure am glad. I, I sure am proud that I'm not like that, that miserable sinner over there. And this guy, you, you know the story, many of you do, beating his chest. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. One went home, Jesus said, justified, just as if he'd never sinned. It wasn't this guy. It was this guy. And pride has kept a lot of people from Jesus. Intellectual pride. To follow Jesus, we have to admit there's some things we don't know. I'm not suggesting that to follow Jesus, you should check your brain at the door. You cannot. It will take every gray cell of gray matter you have. But there are some things we, we don't know, and so we have to swallow our intellectual pride. We have to swallow our spiritual pride to say, I, have, I am helpless. I'm helpless to solve my deepest problems, and I need, I need Jesus we have to swallow our spiritual pride. I thought there's an old song that I thought might be good to wrap things up with. Uh, it was written in 1834 by a lady named Charlotte Elliott, who had a lot of illness and a lot of spiritual struggles. And some of you will know it. Some of you never have heard of it, probably. But it was sung, um, I think in every Billy Graham uh, crusade, at the end of the crusade, as he would invite people to come forward. It used to be in, in churches all over the country, big and small, especially at the end of revival meetings during the invitation, they would sing. And it just reflects for me this, this humility, this sense of knowing who I am and being who I am and, and coming just as I am. If you know it, just uh, sing it with me. 
Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, no excuses and no demands. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, knowing there's a, a depth to my problem that, that can only be fixed by my faith in the one who stretched forth his hands and took upon himself my sins and died. Just as I am without one plea, no excuses, no doubts, but that thy blood was shed for me. I trust the one who, who died for me and that thou bidst me or invites me come to thee overwhelmed by the graciousness of that invitation. The invitation itself is enough to come. And so just as I am, I, I come. Don't let pride keep you from life at its best. Because for all of us, all of us who enjoy the unspeakable joy in the hereafter, one day we're going to say, well, when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Sing it if you know it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin Humility understands that when we get there and they ask, how did you get here? The only viable answer is the man on the middle cross said I could come. Don't, don't let pride keep you from Jesus. Jesus.